Hi, and welcome to season two of How Did You Get Data Lake? My name is Morris, and this is Jerrica Mizrahi. So, as you can tell, uh, Jerrica is not Sergio. For season two, we're going to be trying、uh, to have a few different guests、uh, to bring a little bit even more perspective on Japan, the world.、Uh, so, Jerrica,、uh, do you want to maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, yes.、Uh, firstly, thank you very much for having me on your episode.、Um, I am a American born in San Diego, and I went to school up in the Bay Area、uh, and for Japanese. I studied Japanese there, majored in that, and I am now working here in Japan、uh, as a full time translator and interpreter. How long have you been here? I am on year number seven now. Wow. So you're a pretty newcomer, right? A newcomer? <laughs> I've been here like 11 years, I think. Well, compared to you, of course, then yes. Right. And, but I think we have some people coming over today that like, have been here 20 years, maybe? We have one for 14 years, and I think another person spent something around 11, 12 years as well. So, yeah,、wow. I guess I'm in the baby in the group then.、Huh? Wow. Well, the, the irony is that you're actually one of the best、uh, English and Japanese bilingual speakers that I know because you're actually a professional interpreter. That I am. Yes, thank you so much. So, I have actually seen、uh, Jerrica interpret live for.、Uh, Perfidia at a drag show, which is very, very impressive. So,、uh, yes, though, that was a lot of fun. And、uh, it's easy when you know the content being discussed and, and what to say on stage, you know? Right. So, I, I want to have、uh, Jerrica share a little bit more about the drag scene in Japan and Tokyo in a future episode that we will have to look forward to. But uh, today, uh, while we're doing introductions,、uh, I want to tell you why we're recording at Jerrica's place.、Uh, we're going to watch RuPaul's drag, drag Race later. So, we have a few people coming over. And since we're here, I want you to tell us about the setup that you have. Okay.、Um, so, in my living room here, I have a very nice 65 inch TV <laughs> that I got in the States、um, because honestly, it was cheaper to buy a TV in the States and have it shipped to Japan than. Buy the exact same TV in Japan. Okay, so wait, when it, it was 2001, and I remember coming to Japan and I remember buying a computer in Japan because at that time the computer would have been way more expensive to buy in the US than in Japan. So you're telling me that this 65 inch Sony TV is actually cheaper to buy in the US than in Japan? Yes,、uh, for lack of a better word, pretty much the exact same model、um, in the States was going for about $2,000、uh, on sale during the Christmas holidays in, in the States at Best Buy. And、mm -hmm. the exact same thing in Japan, only it receives Japanese TV signals,、um, was going for somewhere on the ballpark of five grand or so. Wow. So it was cheaper to actually buy it in the States and then pay for like a shipping company to ship it over. The benefit was I was able to actually ship over a lot of other stuff that I had back at home. Uh, in the States, and actually have it hauled over to here in Japan. So, putting it on the slow boat, you know, took about,、uh, it took me three months to get the stuff over here. But if you're not in a rush to get it, it's cheaper just to buy this kind of thing over there and then just ship it over here. Wow. And you didn't have any trouble with like customs or anything like that? We had some hiccups,、uh, not so much with customs, but more along the lines of the shipping company itself. But that's another episode. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll save that for another episode.、Uh, okay. So, so, you have this beautiful 65 inch TV. And、uh, it's a 4K TV? It is a 4K TV,、um, also supports、uh, HDR. Okay. So the new, I think it stands for Hyper Dynamic. You know what? Don't quote me on it. It just is amazing. High definition. Wait, high,、um, oh. it's, it's, like, it's like where you have like,、uh, more color bits and you can do higher, higher high dynamic range. 
There we go. That sounds about right. Okay. I'm very, very sorry to everybody who knew exactly what HDR <laughs> meant. Please accept my apologies. Uh, okay. So, but, but connected to this beautiful TV, we actually have a number of really, really re- wonderful retro gaming systems. Uh, what, what is the oldest thing you have here? The oldest uh, console I have here is probably the uh, Super Nintendo. Mm. Um, so Th- That's I, the one in the middle. Yes, yes. Uh, so for those of you, because you can't see this unless we'll... We could probably upload a picture at some point. Hey, we so we should definitely see. upload a picture because this doesn't look like any Super Nintendo I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um, so... Before we go into that, I'll go ahead and just give a quick list of what I have okay. uh, available here. Um, so I have, starting from left to right, I have a PS3, a PS Vita TV, uh, then we have a PS4 Pro, and then going down to the next bottom row, we have a Sega Saturn, a Sega Dreamcast, uh, Super Nintendo, the Famicom Mini, uh, which in the States is called the NES Mini. Uh, it was a limited run thing by Nintendo. It has 30 games on it, pre-installed, um, supports HDMI out, etc. Th- that came out last year? It came out last year, yeah. So okay. I was able and- to get the, the Japanese version of that. So it's it's it plays, it has older games on it, but it's probably the newest system here because of terms of when it was made. So I, I didn't actually follow that, that whole story very well, but I understand. So it's, it's a little... Uh, so it plays NES games. It, yes, it, it has 30 pre-installed NES games on there. Okay, and it, it's it's like a little miniature NES that can connect to a modern TV via HDMI. Correct. It uh, has HDMI out, and it has it supports uh, micro USB in terms of the power source. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it has like state saves, and it has you can pretty much save anywhere in the game. Uh, you hit the reset button to jump out of the game and go into a different game. Um, but you can only play unless you mod the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thirty pre-installed games on the console. Wow. And I understand that they stopped selling these, but my understanding was they were actually pretty much sold out until the time they stopped selling them. Pretty much. Um, I was fortunate enough to, when they announced that they were even making this uh, and Amazon pre-orders began, I went ahead and just pre-ordered it on Amazon and got mine no problem. But um, after it came out, to your point, it was pretty much sold out from day one, both, I guess, in the States and here in Japan. Um, and they had a hard time following up, catching up on orders. And wow. then as of, I think, a few weeks ago, they announced that they just ceased production on on these models. So we'll see. There's rumors, there's rumors about the next one, potentially uh, a mini Super NES mm. type of thing for holiday. But we'll see what, what comes out. Yeah. Uh, and just to kind of wrap up, because okay, um, yeah, we haven't gotten through the whole list yet, sorry. <laughs> uh, we have a PS1, uh, which is the final version that Sony released of the Sony PlayStation. Um, it's the little miniature version and it actually has the attachable screen that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So you can actually uh, play this, you know, not up to a TV, you can just play it uh, via the little five inch uh, screen. And then I have two PS2s. Um, One is North American and one is Japanese. This is when the regions were different uh, for DVDs uh, and and CD games. Um, Now on the PS3 and the PS4, it's Blu-ray. So America and or North America and Japan are the same region. So there's no issues playing either regions for those. But for all of my PS2, PS1 games, it either requires an American PS1 or a Japanese PS1 or the use of a PS2 for each of those. Cool. Let me go back just a sec to the, the PS1 again, because that, so this is actually, 
it's it's kind of a does this battery powered um there is a battery pack from what i've heard you can purchase for it um but yeah so it essentially could use it on the go if you wanted to like it looks i mean it's it's much much larger than a portable gaming it's it's like a little i mean in, in some senses it's almost like um like the Nintendo Switch in the sense that it has a fairly large screen attached, but it can also be a plug-in to your TV gaming system. Correct, yes. Um, and uh, actually through the back of the... How do I put this? Basically, the monitor attaches to the back of the PS1, uh, mm. and it plugs into the power source as well as the video out. And so basically on the back of the monitor then... There's a plug for the power as well as video out. So you can actually bypass the monitor and go through that to a TV. So you don't have to take the thing off every single time you want to attach mm. the console to a TV. Now, the neat thing is that means you can have video going out to the monitor as well as your TV. So, for wow. example, if you're playing an older game and, you know, you want to, let's say you're recording your game for, for some kind of gameplay footage, um, you know, for some persons who don't go through upscalers, it might be not look the greatest on their bigger TV, mm. but they want to have better reference. But at the same time, they want to be able to play their game uh, without any latency. Mm. Um, so they'll use just the attached monitor because that should run without any latency whatsoever. So for all those games that need to have, you know, time perfect movements like mm. a Mega Man or any of the the music games out there for like DDR, et cetera. Um, again, because it's a, analog signal you're not going to get any kind of latency when playing it so definitely little monitor is good for all those older games and not worrying about any issues that can happen with a larger hd tv that we're having nowadays in terms of latency with retro games right and uh, so so you're talking about a, set, a setup where so this thing has uh a monitor that was a tiny little lcd monitor that was designed just for it and you're talking about playing the game on that and then also it uh, at the same time will output the video signal. And if you wanted to, for example, record gameplay, you could do it that way. And there, since you're using the built-in monitor, which has this analog connection to the main unit, you get the uh, the really low latency during the gameplay, but then you're also able to record it. Exactly, yeah. In layman's terms, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that's actually going to lead right into our, our main topic for today, which is a little bit about how one actually connects all these old systems to a brand new TV. But before we get there, I want to also just highlight this this incredible Super Nintendo system. So this is, uh, let me just describe it. This is, it looks like the, the box itself is just a Super Nintendo box, but it has been modded to the gods. It <laughs> <laughs> It is the most fabulous, most incredible SNES I have ever seen in my life. So do you want to tell us the story of this uh, SNES? Yes. So um, actually, this is one of three. Um, oh, really? Yes. Uh, so about, how do I put this? About half a year ago, I had to go back to the States for some family uh, things. And right around that time, I was starting to look into and getting into um, customizing um, these older consoles. Um, not so much the insides, but kind of just altering the appearance and kind mm. of uh, giving a new coat of paint, if you will. Um, and so mm. I was learning how to kind of take them apart, put them back together. Um, and so when I had to go back to the States, it wasn't only going to be about family stuff. I know it'd have me time here and there. So I wanted to have a little father son type mm. project. Um, and my dad, who is just this amazing artist and 
can just make anything from nothing. Uh, I kind of wanted to work with him on something like this. So I, I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and bring home a few of these older consoles. And mm. I want us to go ahead and work together and just kind of, you know, unleash your creative juices and just kind of, you know, make me something new and different. And I gave him a few ideas in terms of colors I was looking at and, and a few ideas of, you know, how I want this thing to look. And uh, yeah, so the final product was this uh, Super Nintendo where, uh, and if you're looking at a picture of this, you'll see, but basically we have it split into uh, a few colors here. The main color is pink uh, with some blue and then a purple bottom uh, on the base. And then we have yellow uh, how would I put pillars, if you will, for the power and the reset buttons with gold flake here and there. Um, and then just tons of bling, just, just tons of bling. We went ahead and just blinged mm. it up. I told dad, go ahead and just bling it up. And so he got a bunch of his little crystals and uh, accessories that he had laying around the house and just went to town on it. I, it what's so inc- incredible about this, this system to me is that it's the le- level of quality and attention to detail that's been put into it because you know any, any anybody can go to the craft store and you know get a little paint and put some paint on an old video game system but the this is done so well that it looks like it could have been sold this way and that actually is a testament to my dad i will say that when we were working on this together you know you have to kind of mask off and tape off certain areas so that you know, the paint doesn't get inside the unit or it doesn't get on the other side, the side of the shell you don't want it to get onto. Or, um, you know, you want to have certain areas blocked off so that you're only having certain colors go in certain areas. And uh, he was very particular with how I was masking this. And he was like getting on my case to be exact. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, even like the bottom of the unit, um, the little black legs a little like the foam feet. cushion the feet um you know i kind of just put tape over he's like no 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 no. you have to go in there with the little uh skewer or something to poke it and kind of get the tape in the wedge there so that when you finish painting it and take it off it looks as if the plastic was actually made in purple or blue or pink whatever color you're painting it he was very particular about that and so so thank you for that comment. I'm sure he would appreciate it because he was very adamant about making it look like as if this came out of the factory looking this way. Well, that's one of these things where like, I mean, one of Steve Jobs favorite things to say about his father was that his father was uh, a carpenter of sorts and would make these like uh, drawers and whatever. And would point out that, you know, it's, it's how you do the back of the drawer that's going to like face the wall that nobody will see. That is really a testament to the quality. And this is literally the bottom of the console that has this attention to detail on it. So uh, I'm incredibly impressed. We will uh, share photos of this incredible console online, but uh, thank you for sharing that. Of course, of course. And then, yeah, if we have time, maybe on another episode, I can introduce the other two as well. So, <laughs> okay. All right. That'll be a preview for a future episode. All right. So now on to the, the main talk of, of the episode today, which is how do you connect all of these retro gaming systems to your brand new exquisite 4K uh, hot HDR Sony TV? So um, obviously for the newer consoles, um, the PS3, the PS Vita TV and the PS4 Pro, they all support HDMI out. So that's just really simple and easy. Mm. Um, the other ones, though, it's a case by case um, with some of the consoles um they support rgb out natively uh 
mm-hmm. um, which is a form of analog signal that is it's considered a pure form of analog, um, and it's fairly easy to go ahead and put through an upscaler, mm-hmm. which you can then put into your TV um, and go that route. So, so uh, let's let's just stop right there and mm-hmm. say what is an upscaler. So an upscaler essentially uh, is a device that receives the analog signal from another device mm-hmm. um, and outputs it into a format that can be put onto an HD TV. Usually it's something at 720 or 1080. Um, and at least allows you to run those <clears throat> older video signals now on uh, a larger screen as well as it being up So in this case, you're actually using, you're, you're taking in an analog signal via these RGB cables and the output is a digital uh, signal via HDMI. And so it's basically, it's encoding the video and the audio, putting it on HDMI and doing all that, hopefully with low enough latency that you can play the game. Yes, yes. Um, And fortunately, the device that I'm using, which a lot of, uh, it's getting quite popular now, actually, uh, popular, uh, is the uh, RGB Framemeister. Um, The Framemeister. The Framemeister. You got to love the name on that one. Uh, But it's a magic little box that somehow is able to receive the signal and um, from what I've read and from what I've experienced, um, a very, very low amount of latency to the point where if you're playing either a music game or a fighting game or anything that is very like frame sensitive, um, you know, that millisecond of a difference uh, can make a difference in terms of if you won the game or, or you didn't you know, beat the song or beat your, defeat your opponent, et cetera. So um, it's it's very good at keeping that latency down. If you were just to um, go through either uh, another type of upscaler or perhaps uh, just plug the older consoles into the HDTV directly via like the uh, old school, you know, uh, white, red, and yellow cables. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it doesn't, it's more of a TV side. Doesn't It takes time to process the image. And then therefore, you know, you may hit a button only to have the character move like three seconds later or Mm. something like that. So uh, again, this magic device is able to kind of just take in the analog signal, encode it, output it into digital, put it through the HDMI, get it to the TV in a matter of just milliseconds. Um, And it's also uh, doing some upscaling at the same time. So I mean, the, the end result here is that you get a version of the game that is actually basically better than you would be playing in the 90s. Um, I don't know about better. Um, not, maybe not better. But it's it's clearer, I would say. Um, mm. You got to keep in mind that a lot of older CRTVs, the box TVs that we had back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, there was things like cutoff. There was scan lines. There was, um, you know, you had like the old projector style that would kind of mm. project from the back of the, the mm. box, the front of a TV, et cetera. And so it, it just, it wasn't always as clear. It wasn't always as bright. And with HD, everything is now like pixel perfect right mm. so um if you're someone like me um i really liked the old pixel art back in the day mm. um even that was on the playstation and some of the that era of games as well too and to be honest i really like it up because you know you get it blown up on a screen and you kind of see some of the jaggedy lines and whatnot but that's what kind of makes that art style you know to mm. me that's what kind of really captures the essence of it and when you look back at some of these games from Capcom is a good one. A lot of their mm. fighting games, they were known for the detail, the amount of detail they put into their sprites for mm. like characters and the fighting games, the RPGs they made. And, you know, when you blow it up to a 65 inch TV nowadays, <laughs> 
you know, you can see the the amount of detail put into them and just the type of work that had to go into, you know, the gradation for, you know, everything from a shadow to a bright spot mm. of, you know, Chung Lee's big thighs or something like that. You know, <laughs> it's like you can see all the detail that went into it and you know that someone had to do that for every single frame of the animation for wow. each of these characters. So, And it was basically done by hand in the 90s. Yes, it was all done by hand, you know, Windows PCs and, you know, frame by frame. Wow. So, um... Kind of going into each one of the consoles. Actually, let me. Like, so the, that's a really interesting question, though, because it's like, what is the? It, it raises the question of like, what is the authentic way to play these games? Because you could, you. Could, I mean, what we're playing is we're not actually playing the same version of the game that we were playing in the '90s, because the graphics are so much clearer, and the the screen we're playing on is so much bigger and the colors are so much brighter and it's like the thing about these like old crt screens is that they were always just a little bit fuzzy like you know anti-aliasing for fonts was this thing that came in the like the late 90s and whatever and it was actually it was like well your monitors were already kind of fuzzy so it was like do we even like more fuzz like so if you if you ever see people like complaining about anti-aliasing anti-aliased fonts in the late 90s i think that's the thing they're talking about is that their crt monitors and everything is already kind of like blurry and fuzzy so anything that accentuates that is seen as a negative whereas they they like they like the almost the squareness and the jaggediness of the fonts yeah and that actually will lead into another console that we'll get into a little bit later um the n64 is notorious for anti-aliasing but um okay but with things like, you know, the Sega Saturn, the Dreamcast, um, the Super NES, the PlayStation 1, as well as the 2, um, they don't really do a lot of that. Not as much, I should say. No, so mm. no one does it, but it's not as much. Um, with something like the Saturn, um, it supports RGB out natively through a cable called the SCART cable. Now, this okay. was something that um, both you and I are North Americans. Uh, yes. We didn't have this growing up. This was just not a standard that we had in North America, but it's actually one that was quite common in, in Europe um, and was something that was actually available in Japan as well, although mm. it was something a little bit different. It was called the 21 pin. So it looks, the cable itself looks very similar. Um, if you look at it, mm-hmm. it looks like it has, it's this giant thing. It's maybe like two and a half inches big that will plug into your tv but mm-hmm. um it's got 21 pins on it for the wow. 21 pin version in japan and i'm not sure for how many in scart but it's very similar ever so slightly different though apparently um and that will support um each pin basically has something assigned to it whether it's like mm. the red color the green color the blue color left audio right audio mm-hmm. video etc 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 and these these aren't all g- digital signals these are actually analog signals They're- on it Correct. So they're they're basically individual analog signals going into your TV, and that's what's supposed to give you the clearest uh, picture um, back in the day. It's clearer than running it over the simple uh, red, yellow, and white cable because the, the RCA video style cables. It's just basically just one line of video. Um, and when you get into the other cables that we had growing up, which was uh, what was it called? I forget what it's called, but it's the one that plugs into your your where your cable tv would have it gone to like like a bnc cable or something i forget what it's called but like it's just the one cable that you would put into your tv and back <laughs> in the day it was the easiest thing to it, set it, up yeah back in the day like we had no we have no idea what it's called but it's like the one cable the one cable that you would screw into your tv you know and it, it was great back in the day because it was simple setup but you think about it that was two lines of audio video all going on to one cable right you're gonna get some some noise you're gonna get something that's not as clean as it could be it's a coax cable right that's a good word for it yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, and yeah, coax cable. I remember because BNC cables, I think, were what they used in like early versions of like Ethernet, like back okay. in the eighties before there was like these. Uh, anyway, anyways, so um, so with something like the Saturn, basically, um, you had in the states at least the options of the one coax cable, or you had S video, which was mm-hmm. something that had you know kind of somewhat picked up. It was known and it was clearer, but it's still not as clean as RGB. Um, so basically, what you do is. Um, I was able to acquire a SCART cable for a Sega Saturn. Okay. Uh, and then the FrameMeister actually has an adapter that will receive the SCART cable. And then it it's its own adapter just for the console, uh, for the FrameMeister itself. And then it goes into the RGBN slot. It then processes the image and then outputs it through HDMI to the TV. Wow. So it goes from SCART to RGBN to FrameMeister to HDMI to TV. Correct. And it, and that works really well? It works well enough for me to play my X-Men vs. Street Fighter games on, you know, with no issues. I have I feel no latency when I play the game. So it's 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 plenty of fun for me and it looks gorgeous on screen, so no wow. complaints. Um wow. you know, something similar with the uh the Super NES. Again, this was mm-hmm. a console that in the States I think everyone pretty much used the coax cable for. Um it actually does support RGB out. Um, so again, I was able to go ahead and acquire the, uh, Japan 21 pin version, uh, for the cable. And then mm-hmm. just, uh, you have to get a different adapter for the FrameMeister that accepts the 21 pin, but basically you can just swap back and forth, do that, mm. uh, put that in and it runs perfectly on the TV. Um, with the PS1 and the PS2, uh, they both support RGB out via a similar, the Japan uh, 21 pin or a SCART cable. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, though, uh, it depends on how you want to do it. There's a variety of ways to do uh, PS1 games. You can play them on your PS3, which the PS3 will automatically up-res it to you know, mm-hmm. 1080 mm-hmm. Um, over HDMI. You have to do nothing to it. You know, It works just fine. For purists, you know, that want to play on the original consoles <laughs> or that want to play that way, um, I recommend doing it on the PS2 with what they call uh, the D cable here in Japan. Um, D cable. Okay. So this is getting a little more complicated, um, but it's something that I haven't seen in the States, to be honest. Essentially, it's it's a form of the RGB cable or that red, green, and blue cable that you mm-hmm. may have seen in the States sometimes. Um, how unfortunately, a lot of newer TVs don't have those plugs in mm-hmm. there anymore. Um, and what this D cable is, it, it pretty much is something you would almost plug into like a TV monitor or like mm. a, I'm sorry, a computer monitor. Um, mm. It's very similar to like a VGA type thing. So it has like a, like a, D, a D pin or... It's a D-pin, yeah. Okay. There we go. That's the word for it. So basically, you have the red and green for audio that are separate still, mm-hmm. and then the D-pin that you would plug into the back of the FrameMeister, mm-hmm. and then that just out that receives the RGB signal from the PS2 through the FrameMeister and mm-hmm. then out to your TV. Um, and again, the PS2 runs PS1, PS2 games, no problem. I highly recommend that. Um, mm. But if you, if for whatever reason you would just have to play it on a PS1 console, um, you know, you can play it with the 21 pin cable through the frame meister uh, and onto the TV from there. Wow. And then uh, we also have the Dreamcast, uh, which is actually a console that supports VGA out. Um, oh, really? It's, I, you know, at the time when 
the console first came out, it was a thing that, you know, I don't think a lot of people really knew about. And if they did, they didn't know how to properly use it or, um, but, uh, you know, now we're getting into, uh, an age where retro gaming is coming back and people are looking at how can we support older signals or how can we display these older consoles on our TVs? It's actually quite well known now that the Dreamcast supported VGA out Mm. through this thing called a VGA box. And so Mm. you would, it was a, a peripheral that you know Sega sold at the time and other companies have made since then, uh, which essentially you plug into the back of the the Dreamcast, and then it basically allows you to take out and plug into VGA to like your computer monitor and then audio separately, wow. obviously, um, which worked great. Um, but there's better ways of doing it now, and um, there's actually uh, a company that I am currently ordering a product from right now. Mm-hmm. Um, where they have a VGA box that receives signal, you can output it to SCART uh-huh. to the FrameMeister and then of a TV. And the reason why I have to do that is because the FrameMeister, unfortunately, does not have a VGA port in it. <laughs> so, again, trying to get the best signal out of these consoles, you know, it means having to kind of do some workarounds here and there. Okay, so I wanted to... Um... You, you mentioned retro gaming coming back, and I believe a few weeks ago you mentioned that there are actually p- like indie developers developing new games for the Dreamcast. Yes, yes. Um, so it's happened for many, 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 many years, apparently. Okay. Um, but I only recently kind of started getting into um, some older consoles again. I mean, I played them growing up, but you know, I'm at a point now where I'm just kind of going back and testing the waters and whatnot. And uh-huh. it's, it's fun to kind of go out there and do research. And you're hearing about these companies and people in, in Europe and even here in Japan that are developing games for older consoles. Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, they're not officially licensed by Sega, obviously, or by Nintendo or anyone, but mm. um, you have people that are, they basically work with the limitations of that given console, that platform uh, and then are able to either burn a disc for the Dreamcast or to create a reproduction cartridge for the Super NES and the games run. They work. Um, and it's it's just kind of a neat little thing that people do. And I think it's a it's a fun way to kind of keep these older consoles alive and living and, and wow. keep playing them. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of, I think, nostalgia among like... Uh, software developers and software engineers as well for sort of older systems that were simpler in the sense that you could actually understand the entire system uh, at a visceral level. You could you could keep all the moving components in your head. And there's definitely a nostalgia there. And I see it, you know, with, with people going back and, uh, I mean, Hacker News is always filled with people talking about uh, uh, assembly language programming and things like that. Well, I think the the more than nostalgia per se, it goes back to your point of knowing the hardware. Mm. Um, You know, I think there's something to be said for those consoles because you're not dealing with a software update to the OS Mm. every few months. You're not dealing with having to repatch something because, you know, there was a bug on the game and now we got to go back and patch it so we don't get customers upset. You know, when you put out a game back in the day for these consoles, when you went gold, what they called it, mm-hmm. when you finished all your QA and it was approved, you had, you had your produced, golden master. Exactly, you had your golden master. That was it. There was, unless there was some kind of major bug that they had to go back and reproduce the game, which has happened in the past. Um, you know, there's just it is what it is. You know, um, and that 
being said, when you're developing for those consoles, you're not having a deal. What's the new architecture? What's the new, uh, you know, OS going to look like? What are things we have to watch out for? It's like you just know it through and through. You know what the video capabilities are. You know what the memory capabilities are. You know what your limitations are. And then it's how you work within those limitations to create the product you're trying to make. Right. And, and modern development, modern software development is all about abstraction. It's about moving moving away from the, the, the physical hardware and the physical limitations so that you only have to think about the problem at hand. But it's you get so far away that it's like, okay, I'm t- I've typed this thing and I've created this object and behind it, you know, there's this incredible call stack of thousands of random things that are getting called and I have no idea what's going on. It's sort of the, the, the feeling. You, you, it's not, it feels like you can't actually, you're not under, you don't really understand what's going on. Okay, so uh, I, I think you also mentioned something about the NES, or sorry, the uh Nintendo 64? Yes. So I don't have it here, um, but I have just recently ordered a, a used uh, N64, Nintendo 64, as well as a Nintendo GameCube. Um, so I ben should be coming Syracuse in. will be very happy. He's a huge fan of the Nintendo GameCube controller. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, those should be coming in in the next few days. And um, I'm going to be sending them out to be modified so they can output to uh, HDMI because those consoles have limitations in terms of uh, RGP output. The GameCube actually does support it, but the cable that you can use for it is rather expensive. <laughs> okay. um, and that's another story. But the N64 was one of those consoles where it's at, it was made at a point where we weren't going into you know HD TVs just yet. Um, but they had to kind of up their game because going from the Super NES, but not the GameCube yet, you had to kind of go into that 3D world. Um, but to compete against companies like, you know, the Sega Saturn or the PlayStation, uh, Sony PlayStation. Mm. Um, but they were on cartridge. All the games for the N64 were cartridge-based, whereas the other two consoles were CD-based. Right. So as you may know, CDs can hold a lot more memory than right. what it's a cartridge like more can. data but slower access. Exactly, exactly. So there's no loading for the N64, or not as much loading. There are some games that do have a few loading things here and there. It it's a much smaller amount of memory that it can be used uh, for those games. Uh, again, limitations, right? Mm. So apparently what they had done in for a lot of the games developed for the N64 um, to kind of hide the fact that there was some limitations there and in terms of like the, the range of depth, for example, mm-hmm. for a lot of those titles, um, they use a lot of anti-aliasing and blurring and fuzzing to kind of hide a lot of the imperfections. So, so it's actually really similar to what RuPaul did on season one of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> is what, what you're saying? Where, just where, where lay the, on the filters. Yeah, lay where on the, the, the entire show look like looks like it's been like shot through a layer of Vaseline or something. Exactly, exactly. And so, one of the neat things that um, I'm paying this company to do for for the modification. This is called the uh, N64 Ultra HDMI. Um, <laughs> okay, gotta love the name, right? Ultra. And uh, but the neat thing about it is, is it actually through the amazing power of the algorithms of this technology can actually take away some of the anti-aliasing. And wow. so it's it's good because again, without this, you would simply have a very nice picture on your large TV full of blur and whatnot that because that's just how the game was made and through this modification they're actually able you can toggle it on and off so if you want to keep it on to have that more authentic blurry kind of feel you can do that if you want to get more sharp edges and angles you can turn it off and you can 
you know, just actually play your games a little bit clearer than even what the developers probably intended. So just to be very clear, like, so the N64 puts out, it's, it's like RGB out or... To my knowledge, it does not actually support RGB out. From from what I understand, it does like I think it was pretty much just composite video. Okay. Um, I may be wrong, so don't quote me on this, but I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure it was only composite video for the N64 for whatever reason. Um, even though the Super NES supported RGB out, the N64 did not, and so. Again, through this modification, you're unable to do on HDMI. But but you could put like a, take like a composite video and put that through the FrameMeister, right? Yes, yes. So um, again, the FrameMeister can receive composite video. Mm-hmm. Um, it can receive that, it can receive S video, you know, and then upscale that. But you're going to get a lot of that blurriness. And again, mm-hmm. all the video information going on that one line that yellow line that you see there there's some distortion it's going to give some distortion it's not going to be the cleanest signal as opposed to extracting the red green and blue individually so so this company that does this modification there this is not an external modification that you plug in this is they are actually opening up the n64 modding some chips on there so you can get an rgb signal out and doing the upscaling and converting it to hdmi Yes, essentially, yeah. I mean, and wow. from what I hear, there's very little to no latency on that either. Because they're accessing wow. the motherboard directly, it basically just outputs the video in HDMI. It's, it's essentially because it's going right through the console itself. You're not having to go through an upscaler. It just goes directly out so, HDMI. Do, do, you, do you know if they're actually converting to analog at some point? Or, or is it purely digital? You know what? That is another question okay. for another time. <laughs> Excellent question. All right. If anybody knows, please write in. But uh, that sounds like a really... It's, I, I love these incredibly niche industries where I, in, until today, I had no idea. You know, I mean, obviously there are people playing old N64s around, but I had no idea that there's there are people that are so into it that there's actually a company that is building a product that will upscale N64 to HDMI and do like do like an actual modification on the internals of the console to do that. Yeah, and I think I mean it's it's interesting. Um, you know, I I don't think the company set out to create that initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of these are are smaller projects that are just done by fans and persons that just mm-hmm. out of their own interest want to play their games on a modern television. And you know, they go in and they 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 are able to basically reverse engineer a lot of these older consoles. Uh, mm-hmm. figure out what needs to be done to output the video, whatever, and then develop and design their own chips and modifications. And then just, you know, they want to bring it to the masses that those that too want to enjoy and, and play those same games that they grew up playing on a modern TV, you know, it costs a pretty penny. I'm not going to lie. It's not mm. cheap. But, you know, for those, the enthusiasts that actually want to do that, you know, not services out there. Um, that being said, though, it's it is expensive. Um, you do have to send out for it. And, I, I don't think they that's how they make their living. I don't think it's the only thing that these persons do. I assume they have their full daytime job. <laughs> and when they get these orders and they do some on the side. So, you know, like I sent out my request for it, but they're mm-hmm. currently low on chips or they're out at this point in time. I'm on a waiting list right now to mm-hmm. when they get the next set coming in and when they have the time to do the modification. So I'm not sure when it's actually going to get done, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's their enthusiasts out there. And the same thing with the Frame Meister. I mean, uh, this is one of those things where re- retro gaming wasn't as big, you know, a few years ago as it is now. And 
you know, through the power of YouTube, that's how I found out about it. You know, YouTube channel celebrities out there talking about how to up-res these things, what mm-hmm. consoles to use, what devices to use, methods to use. Um, that's where I found out about it. I picked mine up here in Japan. At the time, it was going for about maybe uh, 250 300 US dollars at the time. Mm-hmm. And I want to say now it's going for anywhere from like 450 500 US dollars, if not more, because... Uh, it's just becoming more and more popular. People want to buy it. And the this company is that, the Frame Meister? This is the Frame Meister. And the company wow. that makes it has said that the they are the I wanna say the factory that supplied their chips for the device has stopped making those chips now mm-hmm. and now they're looking at other suppliers. So they're running through an inventory shortage on their products right now. Wow. Which is further driving the price on these products. So I'm lucky that I got in when I did. <laughs> um but, you know, it's it's just one of those things that, you know, it's it's coming out there. And there's other options. Um, the Frame Meister is one. It's a, to be honest, it's a one-stop shop, if you'd like. It's kind of just everything mm-hmm. all in one type box. Um, but there's other now open source projects um, that mm. people are doing out there um, where you can create your own boxes. And I, forgive me, I forget the exact name of the chips, but there are chips now you can go out there and design your own what your framework if you will I'm, I'm using the wrong words here but you can design your own chips nowadays that run mm-hmm. similar to the frame meister and you have open source projects and people working on their own to allow for different video formats to allow for just a variety of things you can do now and it's it's just a really really neat area that a lot of these enthusiasts are going into and i just have a, a blast like watching the the blog sites and the youtube channels and just kind of catching up and seeing how things are changing Wow, that's awesome. So we will include some links in the show notes. Uh, we're probably going to wrap up right about now, but just one final quick question. Yes. Uh, and this is a huge topic that could be an episode in itself. But uh, you know, we're talking about running all these retro games. Obviously, the way a lot of people run these is by emulating them on their computers or whatnot. You have any uh, re- like why why would people want to run on the actual hardware as opposed to emulating things? Um, you know, a variety of reasons. One is nostalgia. Some mm-hmm. people just like the old feel of the original consoles, the controllers. Um, you know, a lot of the enthusiasts just love to say that, hey, this is my cartridge. This is my thing. This is mm. me playing my game. Um, mm. That being said, though, um, you know, emulation is something that's a hot topic for many, many years now mm. um, and is, you know, on one hand, not the most legal of things to do. Yeah, there are, um, of course, you know, various additional copyright issues and whatnot there. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I think, and a topic that I would love to discuss maybe on a, a potential show moving forward is, um, you know, archiving uh, mm. our gaming history, our past, if you will. Mm. Um, you know, at some point in time, the battery on these cartridges are going to run out. You mm. know, you'll lose your save files. Uh, a lot of the disc-based games, uh, you know, you're going to have a natural uh, point of decay. So at Those some point... Those discs are physically breaking down. And they are. There actually are cases of PS2 titles, of PS1 titles, Saturn titles that are already starting to, to break down. And when that happens, you just lose that data. There's just it, You can't get it back. Wow. And so in a weird way, emulation on one hand is a method of preserving these games for what they were uh you know for generations to come wow and and one of my favorite things in the world are these like computer history museums i know there's one in san francisco there's one that uh, paul allen has funded in uh uh, seattle if you have a chance to visit any of them i highly recommend them do you happen to know if there's similar things for uh, retro video game systems 
You know, I not off my head. I couldn't tell you that. Um, I know the Nintendo store in mm-hmm. New York uh, City does have uh, several older consoles on display at all times, and they have like, their own kind of museum, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they're they're out there. Um, I would assume, but I I too would love to go out and see if it actually is like a a museum dedicated to or an exhibit dedicated to the history of gaming consoles and what have you. All right, so this is our challenge for the listeners. Uh, if you know of any retro video gaming museums, please write in with your favorites because we want to uh, put some links at least in the show notes to those. So with that, thank you so much, Jerrica, for coming on Harajuku Data Lake, and hopefully we will have you back for a few more episodes in Season 2. Well, thank you for having me on, and I hope to talk to you all again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.